Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast with me, Conor Whiteley. Psychology student and international best-selling psychology author of over 30 psychology books, bringing you the latest psychology news, fascinating psychology topics and more each week. If you want to learn more, then please check out connorwhiteley.net forward slash books. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube video or follow on your favourite podcast app. And here's the show. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 230 of the Psychology World Podcast with me, Colin Whiteley. And today's episode is on what makes an effective therapist. And it is Saturday the 23rd of September 2023 as I record this. So this is a great, really fun podcast episode today. Which instead of like looking at a therapist themselves, themselves, we're actually going to look at the therapist. And what actually makes them great. Because we can all have the exact same degree. But as you can probably guess, some people will be better than others. So why? So that's the question that we're actually going to be exploring in today's episode. I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. A lot of food for thought. thought but thankfully though, all of these things, if these are areas of our weaknesses, then we can actually improve it. So you've got that to look forward to in the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the psychology news section. We're reading from the British Psychological Society's Research Digest. And the first one is, Seeing ourselves reflected makes art more enjoyable. What makes certain visual artworks appealing to us has been debated for centuries. The features of the artwork certainly plays a role, but when it comes to how much we like any given piece, it's often a case of different strokes of for different folks. What a bringer's bringer to the equation is a vital part of the puzzle. A new investigation suggests whether or not someone finds a work of art beautiful and moving has more to do with how well it resonates with their sense of who they are than any particular feature of the image itself. Okay, so I think it's a quite like, an interesting one because this touches on the cognitive psychology of a perception and how art works. Personally, I'm not a great art lover or no, I don't like abstract art. I hate abstract art and that I've mentioned on the podcast tons of times before. However, if there's a nice painting, I guess that could be nice to look at once in a while. But it's more photography that I quite like, even though I have no photo books. And every so often I do sort of pick up a like, really nice a photo. But besides from that, art is just not my thing. And I guess part of it is just that I'm not that moved by different pieces like, of artwork. Of like artwork. But I know that some people are. And I know that some people absolutely love like art because it's so like wonderful. And I guess I have noticed that that is a certain types of like people will. And I guess that when some of my artsy friends, friends that have, like, have actually spoken about artwork, they do tend to use um, words that, okay, that they use to describe themselves and also like the art piece. So I do un- understand how this makes sense. 
what do you think? So we're moving on to the second one. Meta-analysis finds small benefits from small breaks. Taking irregular breaks to rest and recuperate is vital. Timing breaks appropriately could spell the difference between well-paced productivity and a scummaging to the midday slump. Longer breaks such as days off are usually refreshing to even the, the most tired worker. But research suggests that's not the only way to rest effectively. Even egg extremely briefer breaks, called micro breaks, often no more than 10 minutes taken between work tasks and males to do the trick. In a recent study published in PLOS1, researchers looked closely at a consistent literature on micro breaks, seeking to understand not only how effective they are in enhancing well-being at work, but also who might benefit the most. And then if you want to look at the summary of the like, analysis, then go over to the BPS's like, Research Digest website. And this I cannot agree more with because, yeah, because my ideal working day is like one hour um, like working night sessions where I get tons done. And then I have ideally like half an hour break that works really well like for me and i can do and i can do that for ages it spreads throughout the day yes that's how i tend to work and those short breaks really are really refreshing and refreshing though and they're really really helpful but just never work solidly because one you get so bored so easily and also it just makes everything a drag and it's just really really bad so definitely so definitely try and do like micro breaks. Definitely don't be a workaholic. I know that from egg experience. And just and just have your breaks. So the last one is eco labels help us eat more sustainably. Um, and this is again I'm going back into the research digest archives. So let's dive into it. However, as research we covered late last year shows us, there are small nudges that can help us along the way. Findings by Kate Deloitte at the University of Bristol and, uh, and colleagues showed that highlighting the environmental impact of food choice effectively steers people towards more sustainable options. And this is something that we did actually cover on the podcast like, last year. And this is really an, an important though, like, especially after the year that we've had, um, had though, like, with the wildfires, the worsening climate crisis, and all of the really interesting like, research which is actually coming out about it. But though, so eating more sustainably is definitely in, like, important. And that's why these nudges are really uh, like critical going into the future. So if all of these foods and all of these drinks, uh, to be honest, actually mentioned their environmental impact, then I think the benefits are twofold. One, that people will more likely actually like go towards the sustainable options, but also hopefully it will help improve the actual companies themselves. Well, themselves that will actually be more sustainable, but just they can become a more attractive option for consumers. Hopefully, without greenwashing themselves. <laughs> so, I hope you enjoyed the psychology news section. So, let's move on to the personal update. 
So we're moving on to the personal update. So this week it was a welcome week, so week though. And I've actually got a few different points that I want to make here. So first of all, for the first time ever in welcome week, this is technically my fifth year in psychology because I did a four year undergrad because of my placement year. So for the first time ever, I've decided to do stuff at Welcome Week, which, uh, to be honest, anyone can actually do. Like, whether you're a brand new student, technically like me, because I'm a new master's student, apparently. Um, and also, like, um, if you're in, like, the first year of your undergrad degree, speaking of which, you definitely feel old. Like, I'm, like, 22 now, and I feel really older, kind of, like, compared to the baby face 18 so that's like coming in <laughs> anyway though so for the first time in my life i've decided to be social during my welcome weekend there were some like good events i met some like great people had you know had like lots of fun there were some really hard moments during like this week because of this summer but it was really really fun though so if you're like um university student then I hope you had a, a good like, welcome week because they are a like a lot of fun. That and I've actually thrown myself into quite a few different societies like uh, this week. <laughs> and in case you're like in a international like listen, then like or what a society is is that in like the UK is basically a like adult social club like university that's a formed around a particular in you know, like interest though. So, I've actually got a, like, a picnic like, later on, which I'm like going to, and some of my friends are actually going there, so that'd be good to well, be like more social, because, wow, yeah, basically, this week's hammered home, how much I do not have a social life, which is quite funny, a bit depressing, but lots of fun, though, but because, because I'm uh, trying to do the whole self-improvement and whole personal growth thing, it's tiring. <laughs> But then the only other thing that I want to mention is that if there are any master's students here, something I think is quite funny is that yesterday I had some of the postgraduate barbecue done by the School of Psychology at my university and I and my plan fully was to like go there, talk to tons of people, hopefully form some like connections and everything. And I got there and everyone was in their small like little groups because amazingly everyone was actually on time for a change, which I was actually quite shocked about. And if you were not that socially adept or if you have trouble like making friends, then I think that um, well I think that like the general like strategy is that you like find a group, try and insert yourself in like in those like conversations and after a while they actually start you know, including you and then that's when like friendship by like, magic cannot happen. That really did not happen because the thing was the weird thing about masters is that everyone's talking about their research interests, how exciting they are and how brilliantly um, like they uh, did in their undergrad and I was just sitting there thinking I want to talk about other stuff because I do not have a massive research interest that I'm so passionate about that I just want to talk endlessly about it and like, I was listening to this person talk for 10 whole minutes about something I did not understand and it was something to do with a cognitive like, psychology but at a really advanced like, level so it was interesting 
and I was just like nodding along, trying like to seem interested, and and I walked away from that conversation thinking, yeah, I'm nothing like most of these like masters that are students, so, yeah, like students so. So, if you ever find yourself feeling like that, then you aren't alone. I think you're probably quite normal. <laughs> also, though, I think that because of whenever the new academic year starts, I always feel a bit, not so much unsettled, but I always feel like quite nervous because I've had the whole summer all about my own life routines. But then the new academic year brings in a new like structure and a new like routine. So it always takes me like a few weeks to actually get back in there to the like swing of it. But I'm like looking forward to my masters, and I hope I can just start making friends on my course though, because lots of them, I don't know, they seem they seem way like they seem intensely into psychology. But not as intensely as I am, because my version of intense psychology is the podcast, me following basically whatever interest I have. But their version of intense psychology is literally focusing on one topic, and it's all they want to talk about. And it's like, no, that would just bore me too much. <laughs> so interesting times ahead. And as always, I always love to hear your thoughts and feelings on today's episode. So you can email me, connorwhitely, connorwhitely.net. You can always leave a comment at the show notes at connorwhitely.net forward slash podcast. And you can always tweet me on Twitter at sci-fi-whitely. I always love to hear from audio because it really helps make the podcast feel more like a conversation. And you can always comment on the Facebook post at connorwhitely psychology offer. So today's episode has been sponsored by Careers in Psychology. A guide to careers in clinical psychology, forensic psychology, business psychology, and more. So this is a so this is an absolute brilliant book that I flat out loved because it came out in like January and it always sells a, a few copies every single month because people really like the engaging tone, the information, and uh, and how it covers the breadth and depth about about careers in psychology because there are simply tons. There are so many different uh, career paths that you can uh, do but for example yes you can become a like therapist but you can also become a like academic a researcher someone who works in like um, organizational psychology so like a hr department and then there's also tons of other great career paths so if you're interested in a uh, psychology career then definitely check out this a great really easy to understand book that's going to contain tons of great information. I know that tons of people find it useful, so I know that you will too. So that is Careers in Psychology, a guide to careers in clinical psychology, forensic psychology, business psychology and more. Available from all major ebook retailers and you can get the payback and the hardback version from Amazon, your local bookstore or local library if you request it. And you can buy the ebook directly from me at payhood.com forward slash Connor Whiteley. So, whilst buying books helps to support the editing and the creation of the show, my time is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. And as always, a massive thank you to my patrons because your support shows that you like the show and that you want it to continue. So, if you want to become a patron of the show and get tons of great rewards, 
then you can now become a patron at patreon.com forward slash the psychology world podcast. So that's enough for the personality. Let's move on to the content part of today's episode. So we're moving on to the content part of today's episode. So we're going to be talking about what makes an effective therapist. And because I've already done quite the introduction to it, and we're actually going to be looking at five different research findings, I'm actually just going to dive straight into it. You can have mental health difficulties and still be a great therapist. One of my favourite research findings about psychotherapists comes from Holin Sky and all 2011. They found that after graduation, the vast majority of therapists have actually been in a therapy themselves. This happens for a very, very wide range of reasons, and this brings us to an important topic within psychology. Everyone thinks that to be a, a, a therapist, you shouldn't have any mental health difficulties, and that you shouldn't have anything wrong with you and for that I say in air quotes because of course just because you've got mental health difficulties it doesn't mean that you're messed up or there's something wrong with you and if you do then that you will simply fail as a therapist none of that's true this has no basis in reality and this isn't reflected in the literature mainly because everyone experiences personal growth and that this growth can take a lifetime of course, unresolved trauma and other mental health difficulties can leave us vulnerable to being psychologically triggered by the experiences of our clients. This becomes a, a, a problem when it leads us as current or future therapists to experience empathy failure, advice giving in a nested um, therapy, emotional distancing and even disassociating in therapy sessions. Thankfully, I think, one way to actually test, test if there's an area of psychology or therapy, yeah, they, the, or therapy that you get triggered by is that whenever you're taught uh, a, a, a certain topic and, and you get triggered by it, then that is a warning sign that you might have issues to deal with. Personally, I definitely agree with like this point because since I was talking to a friend quite a while ago now about how my ideal clinical population is at transgender people, but my friend pointed out that the topic of uh, of suicide and self harm will certainly come up, and that was before I like, went to like therapy and even during my trauma lectures like last year at like, university, I was seriously uncomfortable. Like, I think they were some of my most productive like, lectures simply because I wouldn't focus on the content. I would just sit there on, like, on my like, laptop, mainly yeah, to actually just like get the attendance covered. But anyway, though, I just did not pay attention. I listened to every like so often because my favourite lecturer was actually like, doing it, and she is brilliant. Like, I would love to have her on the podcast at some point. <laughs> Anyway, so I'm actually going right back to the blog post. <laughs> so it would be interesting to see how my journey of healing has helped me with these topics from my future clients. I think I could deal with them and I think I could actually help the clients now, but until I get experience with them again, I simply won't know for sure. 
Overall, if you have mental health difficulties, it doesn't auto automatically mean that you'll fail as a therapist. Personal qualities are important for therapy outcomes. One finding that should come as no surprise to you wonderful podcast listeners is that a, a therapist that should have certain personal qualities that are strongly linked to and approved therapy outcomes. A good a therapist is comfortable with, with emotional intimacy, can tolerate strong emotions in themselves as well as other people. Uh, they're empathetic, have healthy personal boundaries and they can hear and take criticism without being defensive about it. Of course, there are other additional qualities that have, that would be a great in a, a therapist, but there are some of, some of the most important factors shared by good therapists. As a result, if you've just listened to that short list, then rate yourself on these traits, see how well good you think you are, and see what traits you could work on to improve, because I know that I'm currently working on healthy personal boundaries and empathy, because I'm not perfect, and that's okay. Most therapeutic models are equally effective at treating most mental health conditions. Thirdly, the dodo bird effect proposed is and it is supported by a researcher that most models of therapy are equally effective for most types of mental health conditions. Although this isn't saying that therapeutic models don't matter, because they seriously do, and I think they can be extremely useful in, in guiding a clinical practice, but this is why you need to pick the models that you feel comfortable with. It doesn't really matter what models you pick as long as you like them and this liking will help you to be more confident, happier with your work and this confidence will come through your work with your clients. For example, I really like cognitive behavioural therapy, systemic therapy and the person-centred approach because they really resonate with me and how I like to work. Therefore, I would never, never choose a, a graduate programme with its psychodynamic work because I hate it and that data would show in my therapy work with a client, resulting in that only harming them and my job satisfaction. However, I would say as a counterpoint, know when you can't help someone because there are better people to help them. For example, going back to my own point, as much as I love CBT systemic and person-centered approaches, and I do hope to be qualified in them in the future, if anyone came to me and I thought acceptance, a commitment, a therapy, or in an eternal family therapy would be better for them, and I would send the client to those specialists because I couldn't help them as effectively as they could. I think all therapeutic models have their place to some extent. So as future or current psychologists, we need to understand what other specialists are better to help our clients. Different graduate programs don't make a therapist more effective. Personally, I don't know if this is a very US-centric point because I 
had no idea there were so many different types of like degrees and some of these I don't actually recognize in the UK but it turns out that the longer you study doesn't make you a better therapist for example it doesn't really matter if you have a master's of science arts education a PhD a psych D I'm not sure what that is I've never seen that in the UK an MD or a master's of a social work whilst it will certainly impact your career opportunities and the sort of of the career you end up doing when it comes to therapy it doesn't make you more effective and as much as you might be doubting me it is very strong research finding that it has been replicated in tons of, of studies according to Christian and Jacobson 1994 of course, this isn't to say that all graduate programs will give you the same learning experience. Since if you want a, a PhD, then this is great if you, if you want to conduct research and go into academia. If you want to do a, a psych D, then this is great if you want a lot of supervision and classroom learning. Then and if you want a master's of, of social work, then this might offer you a, a wider community way of looking at mental health. However, the point remains. According to the research, the extra years of a training offered by a, a doctoral program doesn't make someone at a more effective life therapist compared to a, a shorter degree program. Experience alone doesn't make, doesn't make a therapist more effective. Lastly, in the UK, yeah, there is a large focus on the reflective practitioner model that focuses on a clinical psychologist reflecting on their practice and finding new ways to improve. This is exactly what we need to do if a, if a therapist ever wants to improve, since feedback is important in a clinical practice and it allows us to learn and adjust the way we work based on it. There's a, a great article called The Secrets of Superstrings that are linked to in the, in the reference section below where some psychology researchers discuss how the best psychotherapists routinely get feedback from their clients and that they actually listen to it by adapting their practices in the process. Personally, I totally understand this because, because our clients are the people we are trying to help. So why wouldn't we go to them to work it better? It is useless for us to only uh, talk to our peers and our supervisors about our working and practices because these aren't the people we're trying to help. It is our clients that are our reason in to the office every day. So it only makes sense that we get their feedback and take it on board. Of course, this is flat out scary at times, and I could not imagine asking a a client like for feedback because what if they're mean? No, what if my ego gets hurt? And all of those other very human fears. However, a large part of therapy is being vulnerable and letting go of our egos. We aren't perfect. Our work will never be perfect, and sometimes we just need someone to tell us something. And then we yeah, can realise that we're doing like, something wrong and we can actually end up fixing it. Hmm, doesn't that sound like uh, what, what we say to our clients? 
So why don't we allow our clients to do the same for us in our terms of like feedback? Maybe you were too pushy, rude, or insensitive about asking a certain topic. Maybe the client found your polite laugh hurtful or something. And I've actually got a like story like about that. So I was actually in a accounting assessment like this week, and one thing that did annoy me was how smiley and how much the woman interrupted me. Like I would have finished the sentence, but is that this is hard to talk about and it's just so annoying and i'm so glad she won't be seeing me because i really didn't didn't like her and yet because she didn't want the feedback i just couldn't tell her and she might have actually annoyed another client that really really needs her help and that's just a fault conclusion when it comes down to it our graduate programs that give us the knowledge tools and techniques to improve lives and become therapists. Yet ultimately, it is down to us as human beings to become good therapists. Many are because a therapy really is about relationships and two humans together in a room talking, bonding and wanting to help the person in de-stress. No graduate program can actually just have to be a, a better human and a better listener. That all what comes from within a, a person, but this isn't fixed. We can become a better therapist and people over time. And if you remember those five features of what makes an effective therapist, then you might be well on the way to improving and helping so many other amazing people that walk into your therapy room, hoping that you can help them decrease their distress, improve their life, and hopefully change their life for the better. So I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode and you got something out of it. I know that I did it because this is a a, a really important like, topic that we're because to be honest, I think so much of the focus when it comes to psychology is just like grades, essays, and just our graduate programs. But to be honest, the thing that really makes like therapy work and the thing that makes the clients feel so great about themselves and their therapy like experiences is the person themselves like i could not care less about the graduate program so that right that's my therapist over the like summer did and actually didn't have her she was great because she was a great person so that i cannot recommend enough so it's really in like a trusting though and uh, and this is a really important topic to actually focus on from time to time. So if you know someone who enjoyed today's episode, then please share it with them. I'm always really grateful when you wonderful people help spread the word about the podcast. And if you wanted to learn more, definitely check out Careers in Psychology, a guide to careers in clinical psychology, forensic psychology, business psychology and more. Available in all the usual places, and you can buy the ebook directly from me at payhips.com forward slash conwiley. And if you want to become a patron of the show, then definitely check out patreon.com forward slash the psychology world podcast. So have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. 
Please have remember to like the video and subscribe to the, the YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you wanted to learn more, then please check out the backlist of the podcast episodes or my books at conwhiteley.net. So have a great day and I'll see you next time.